I don't know about you, but I'm just tired of looking at the world and it looks like the world is all we know and that is our greatest reality. Some of you are just tired of the routine of even ministry. And so we're saying, God, breathe fresh life into us. God, ignite something of you, your love, your unmistakable presence in us. And so everything we're saying and doing in all of our ministries is focused by this great idea. And so last week we started a series called Restored. And the reason for that name is when we see Jesus ministering, oh, he was just restoring all the time. But also when we look at the stories, one of the things we observe is that Jesus encountered people in their weaknesses, not in their strength. And if anything, if they were trying to engage Jesus in their strength, he would bypass that facade and he would go to their point of need, their point of pain and their point of weakness, which is not fun because it's scary to go inside there, right? And so last week, the point of pain that we addressed was when we're standing before God saying, God, I'm angry recognizing that behind our anger so often is great pain and great disappointments. And we just saw how faithful God was to meet us in that place last week. And we trust that he has continued to restore us as he works from the inside out. And that was a bit of a baptism by fire. But today we're going to get as real. The problem with today's thought is, you see, if you have anger management issues, you know all about it. And if you don't know all about it, the people you know know all about it. But today's one is a lot more subtle. I'd say it is as dangerous and as part of our brokenness and in as much need of God's power and presence and love and restoration, but it may be less obvious to many of us. No, there we go. And so many of us maybe get to the point in life where we start to realize at various levels, my point of pain, my point of weakness is that I'm fake. Last week is I'm angry. This week is I'm fake. The person you see is not the person that I really am because the person I really am, I don't let the world see. And I've cultivated a persona I have cultivated a reality for you to engage with, but that is not the real me. Or at best, for the most part, it is not the real me. So I wonder how many of you have had moments where you discover this about yourself, where over the course of your life, you've had encounters with people where you've come away from the encounter, just thinking to yourself, you know, I thought I was being... Me, the, the, the real me, the true me. And it just seems like that person doesn't like that part of who I am. And I'm sure that most of us, if not all of us in the room, have had multiple experiences like that, that have left an imprint on us. And I'm not so much just talking about our sinful tendencies, although we'll speak about that in a second, but stuff that you believe is core to who you are. And so you've thought to yourself, well, maybe if I was less me and more like that person, 
And as we do that, consciously and unconsciously, we develop these layers and these masks with which we engage God and the world around us. I want to tell you just briefly about some of my experience. And by the way, none of what I'm about to tell you was apparent to me at the time. And it's really only just taking some maturity, some counseling, some work on, of God in my life just to help me see these things. But when I went to high school, I was living in what used to be known as Port Elizabeth at the time. And uh, for the first two years of high school, I was at a school that I loved. It was the best two years of my life. Great sports, great academics, had a great musical department. The teachers I had, the environment, the friends that I had just meant that those were my favorite two years of high school. After which we moved up to Johannesburg and man, it really was living up to the experience of GP Gangster's Paradise. Because I was really coming from the place of maybe even in many ways innocence and naivety into a real rough school environment and a rough world. Um, the picture that came to mind was uh, in my old high school. They were very strict on school uniform. doesn't matter where you were. You had to be wearing a blazer. It had to be fully buttoned. We had these standardized school cases. Some of you may remember them, like a green canvas school bag with the box on the inside. And that was what everyone had to use. So there I am now at my new GP high school. And I'm standing there bright as a button with this, you know, high hope of expectations. And I've got my blazer buttoned and my face is clean and my hair is done. And I'm, wearing, I'm carrying this bag. And a friend of mine from the church that we had just joined saw me. He came up to me and he's like, Stephen, just let me help you out here. Lose the bag. Lose that naive smile on your face. Lose the blazer that is being buttoned because otherwise you're never going to survive here. I was like, what? And over the next few months, what I started to realize was certain dynamics of who I believe I truly was had to be suppressed in order to adapt and in order to fit in to this brand new environment. Now, my story isn't really super loaded with, you know, incredible pain and bullying. But as we look at our own stories, don't we often find ourselves adapting and responding to situations like this? And getting to the point where we don't even know who we are anymore. And we're living these fake lives and we've put ourselves down and hidden ourselves in this place that we can't access anymore. And often these layers and masks that we put on can lead us in one of two directions. And the one direction is the direction where we're moving towards an increased acting out of my sin and my brokenness. So in some cases, it's getting extra aggressive. It's putting on extra foul language in order to fit in. Maybe it's being extra sexy to get noticed. Maybe it's being extra provocative to get a platform. Maybe it's just talking nonsense. We all know that person whose story is always bigger and better than your story, and we know they're talking nonsense, right? So on the one hand, these layers of fake self and masks that we put on can lead us in that direction. On the other hand, as strange as this sounds, sometimes our fake self can become very religious. Do you know, like Stephen, that just sounds weird. Aren't we supposed to try and be religious? Well, in some ways, yes. But, you know, if you go and read the Gospels 
And if you start seeing how Jesus encountered people, ask yourself this question. How did Jesus engage sinners? And in nine times out of 10, it was with grace and compassion followed by truth. Then ask yourself the next question. When Jesus is being confrontational, what are the kinds of people he's being confrontational with? And in nine times out of 10, it is the religious leaders of the time. We get it the other way around. We walk in eggshells around religious people and we're confrontational with sinners. And so as we observe that, well, why? Why was Jesus so in the face of these religious leaders? You know, one of the words he used for them was the word hypocrites. The word hypocrite comes from in those times, in the Greek Roman times, they had these traveling bands of actors and you know, maybe we've seen them in some of these paradrama movies and they would set up their little acting station and they would act out these various stories and mythologies and they would wear masks. And these traveling actors were known as hypocrites. And so Jesus takes this word for these masked people and he applies it to these religious leaders. Listen to a couple of examples, Matthew 23 verses 5 to 7. He says about them, Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide. They are these prayer shawls with the tassels on the end. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love, not the Lord, they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi or teacher by others. In other words, Jesus is saying, You are cultivating this religious exterior to please others, not to love God. He goes on to say a few verses later, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Ever wonder why Jesus was crucified by these people? So why do we do this? Why do we put on these masks? Be they more layers of sin and brokenness or even these religious masks? Well, I want to talk about this in terms of two words. And the one is, we do it to protect ourselves. And number two, we do it to project something. To protect and to project. So let's talk about how we protect ourselves. You see, at the heart of it, we have experienced rejection from people. And as we've experienced rejection, we have walked away from those encounters hurt. And we want to rectify that situation. We don't want to experience that pain. And so we start to conclude based on this encounter, based on the rejection, I am not blank enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not bright enough. I'm not friendly enough. And so we even see this so many times in Scripture. One of the people that we see this is in the the life of Gideon. And God wanted to raise up Gideon as a leader to defeat the Midianites. But listen to how Gideon responds to this invitation. He says, but pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? 
My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I'm nothing special. I'm not, I'm not the leader you're looking for. This for me has been a, a wrestle for me. When I look at the leaders around me and those who kind of operate in the public sphere, and even though we don't know them personally, well, I'm not charismatic enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not loud enough. I'm not whatever. And it is a constant struggle that Gideon was experiencing that I've had to experience. And so as we've had people reject us, and just by the way, it gets worse when people who are in our inner circle and tribe, when they reject us, because they're supposed to love me, right? And so we experience this in marriage. We experience this in family. We experience this in friendships that go the wrong way. And maybe it's not just friendships. Maybe it's the crowd. Maybe it's just using the caricature of high school. It's like, well, you know, I look at him and her, and I look how popular they are, and they're like this, and I'm like that, and I don't have friends, and I don't have popularity. So what I'm going to do is reject what I don't believe is good about me, and I'm going to try to put on what I think I need to be in order to be accepted. So we protect ourselves because we don't like facing up to this idea where the real perceived, I'm not blank enough. The weird thing, just by the way, is it's not always the people who we think may typically experience this. Sometimes it is the high and the mighty and the strong and the good looking and the powerful who still wrestle with this. We see this with Saul in the Old Testament, who was kind of like the Chris Hemsworth of the Old Testament. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's the actor behind Thor. Just like, I don't know how a human like being like that exists. But anyway, Samuel says about Saul, he says, all, so Saul was a head taller than everybody else. He was good looking. He was a natural leader. Although you were once small in your own eyes, despite his natural capacity and obvious natural leadership skills in his own heart, there were parts of who he was that was insignificant. And he lacked confidence in how God had made him. And that led to so much of his downfall. And so we protect ourselves from that feeling. But we also choose to project. And this is where we kind of separate ourselves from ourselves and we cultivate a persona. We put on a mask in various ways and fashions. These attributes that we believe will increase our chance of being loved and accepted. Now, this is so subtle. Because there's a big difference between you, your real you, your true you, coming face to face with some of your real weaknesses and choosing to grow and choosing to mature, right? For example, it is a good thing that regardless of your personality type, it is a good thing to learn how to have good conversation, to learn how to ask good questions, to learn to be engaging, and to learn to be winsome with the people around you. And just by the way, that's probably one of the best things to learn how to do in order to have people like you. However, what is good about that is when it is you stepping out in courage, you learning how to stretch yourself, you learning to grow and mature your capacity for social relationships. But that is very different to the you, which by the way, was me 
and in some ways he's still me, that he's driven by people pleasing. And so it's not about how can I grow in my social ability so that I can show people that I care for them, I can engage with them, and I can just be a meaningful person in their lives. But rather it's what can I do to be a chameleon and to have people like me and love me because where the one is growing who you are, the other one is hiding who you are and putting on a false persona, which is so dangerous. I know for me, one of the areas in my life that uh, I realized, and again, it took a lot of hindsight, was I wanted to be admired by people. I wanted to be admired by women for the obvious things. But I also wanted to be admired by men. And, and one of the things and areas that I wanted to be admired for was for my smarts, for my intelligence. I wanted people to look at Stephen and go, ah, oh, what a smart guy. Now, again, on one hand, there's nothing wrong with learning. There's nothing wrong with engaging your gifting. There's nothing wrong with becoming competent in something. And as an outcome, people do recognize that you have an authority in this area. That is a good thing. There's something really wrong about going home, being so broken because someone didn't recognize my intelligence and doing everything in my power because my motive is I want people to see me in a certain way. Some of you might be just processing this and maybe pushing back a little bit saying, but Stephen, you know, and this is kind of the tone of the world that we're in at the moment. Aren't we supposed to be true to ourselves Aren't we supposed to be authentic? We did a whole sermon on this last year in a series called Identity. And the sermon was called Don't Be Yourself, which was a provocative title for a very important truth, which in essence is this. If you're going to be true to you, the biblical question, this is a question that culture doesn't ask. The biblical question is, if you're going to be true to you, which you are you going to be true to? Because in the biblical understanding, you are two yous. There's the old self and the new self. The old self is your sinful nature, which the scriptures say, we'll see in a second, you are to deny. Your new self, as we're going to see in a second, is one to be embraced. But so often when you're saying, oh, I'm just being authentic, this is just me, take it or leave it, we're giving ourselves permission to live out our old self. And so yes, in some ways you're being true to you. But as far as God is, is, is concerned about this, that is the wrong you to be true to. This comes out so clearly in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. You were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And you are taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds, how you think about things, and to put on. So instead of putting on layers of fake persona and, you know, things that I think are going to get me loved by people, no, I need to put on the new self. What is this new self? It is the self that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, the you that is the most you is the you that God created to be like Him. 
And by the way, the more we put on this new self, it doesn't mean that we all become these Christian clones. But the mystery about this is the more we are conformed to the image of Christ, the more the real you becomes available to the world around you. And the more, ironically, authentic you are to the world around you. And so I'm hoping you're starting to see the danger of protecting and projecting. We come here to church. Pastor Steve, Pastor Craig stand up on the stage and say things like, you know, God, make yourself real to us. And, we'll, and I believe we mean that prayer. But we're so comfortable living not in who I really am, but in the layers of my false self. And Jesus is saying, there is no point in me meeting you there. Rather, the real work that he wants to do is peel back those layers. Let's go back to your true self. Let's do an act of restoration and healing there. And then let's start a journey of life and love with me. So here's a few thoughts that I think can just help us do this. Easier said than done, but let's start the journey together. Number one, bring who you are to Jesus because you need to know that you are deeply loved. And when I say you, I mean the real you. Now with Stephen, I thought, you know, I'm a sinner. Stephen, there are parts of me that I thought Jesus doesn't like. You know, if I kind of reveal my true self to God, there are going to be many things he doesn't like. I'm weak, I'm afraid, I lack courage, I've messed up time and time again. I thought Jesus doesn't like those things, and you're 100% right. He doesn't like those things because he loves you. Jesus has the ability, the divine ability to see the sin in your life, to see the things that need restoration, the things that need healing, the things that need clearing off, as well as the things that need to be brought out and, and polished off to shine. Jesus has the ability to see all those things about you, even if everyone in your life doesn't have that ability, Jesus has the ability to see those things and love you fully. Because Jesus sees you, but he also needs you to see the real you. And like for me, to look at my own sense of inadequacy and insignificance. And Lord, I could never be this person that you want me to be. But to get to the point where I'm going to bring my real self, with all my doubts, with all my fears, with all my lack of courage, and say, Lord, well, if you're going to do your work with me, let's get the masks off. You know, one of the greatest stories in Scripture that we talk about all the time here at Riverside, almost ad nauseum, is the story of the prodigal son because there's so much in it. So one of the questions that I ask about this story is, at what point, and I don't have time to go through it all, at what point did the prodigal son feel most loved? You see, it wasn't at home when he was living with his perfect father because he wanted out. It wasn't when he was out doing his own thing, you know, parties, prostitutes. It wasn't when he was in the pigsty. 
The story goes that he decides to come home because, well, I'd rather be a slave in my father's home than be out here. And so he goes home and he is just 100% convinced he's going to be rejected because of all he's done. And he is standing there. His father runs to him. He's standing there dripping in disappointments, in failure. I've let my family's name down and their reputation. I've wasted one third of my father's estates. I literally smells like pigs, parties, and prostitutes. And it is at that point where he's feeling least deserving of his father's love. Where for the very first time he is standing most exposed and vulnerable before his father. Most aware of what he really does deserve at best is to be a slave. And it was at that point that his father put his arms around him, put a robe around him, a ring on his finger and said, you are my son. And so in the same way, it is when we have the courage to stand before God, yes, in all of our sin and all of our failures and all of the things I don't like about me and all of the things that the world doesn't like about me, but to recognize for good or for bad, this is who the real me is. This can feel, church, like open heart surgery of the soul. But this is where God wants to take his love and plunge it into the deepest realities of who you are and start restoring you there. Number two, be at peace with who you are because Jesus loves using us in surprising ways. You see, God has a redemptive picture of who you are. Yes, he accepts you with your sin and your shame because it is not based on your righteousness that we are accepted, but the righteousness of Jesus. Right? It is not your failures that disqualify you from fellowship with God because Jesus paid for those failures. And so you get to come before him, but God, when he created you, doesn't matter who you are, he has a redemptive picture of who you are. Are, and he wants to use that person to be a vehicle of his blessing and presence to the world around us. Again, such a struggle for me. Lord, I, I'm just not the, the leader that I think I need to be. I'm not the pastor I think I need to be. And so for so long, I was cutting myself off from being available to God to use the real me. And just by the way, this is the journey for the rest of our lives. But evidently, even the apostle Paul has struggled with this. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 9 to 10, he's just been talking about how the church is not recognizing him for his apostleship and his authority. And he says this, For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effects. Standing before the Father in our weakness. But by the grace of God, I am who I am. I am what I am. And may the Lord take me on a journey of restoration and healing so that his grace will not be without effect. 
but you can only walk that road in your own shoes. So be at peace with who you are because Jesus loves using us in surprising ways. And finally, trust the cruciform road of Jesus with Jesus. The path to self-enlightenment in this world is to go into some deep, deep part of who you are. Or to stand in front of a mirror and tell yourself, you can, you can do this. And try pump yourself up by pulling yourself up by your own socks. Do you know what that path looks like for the Christian? It is so counterintuitive. I used the phrase earlier. Die to yourself. What? How am I going to become more me, more this redemptive person that God has made me to be, by dying to myself. Doesn't make sense, right? This is how Jesus says it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. Does that sound nice? No, it's going to be challenging. But take up their cross and follow me. For whoever, here's the crux of it. For whoever wants to save their life, whoever is going to introspect whoever is going to work so hard to kind of muster up self-confidence, telling themselves just how awesome you are, whoever wants to save their lives will land up losing it because it doesn't work. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. The path to you becoming you is to stop thinking about you. And allow yourself to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Dying to those things of my old self. Putting on the new self, which is being created to be like God in Christ Jesus. And the mystery is, somehow, that is a cyclical process through which God restores you, the real you, the wonderful you, the you he created and the you he wants the world to see and the you that is going to bring most glory to his name. But he also wants to do this with you. Oh Lord, <laughs> oh, again I wake up hating something about myself. Well, let me trust you again. Let me trust you again. Let me carry my cross, deny myself. Let me put on Christ. Let me trust your presence and your grace. Let me be overwhelmed by who you are rather than underwhelmed by who I am. And again, church, this is a lifetime of a journey. But it is the way that Jesus releases you into the world. And so the real question is, are you gonna have the courage like that prodigal son, to stand before God and others in your most vulnerable place, the place where you are most aware of your failures. Not because God is a sadist, but because God knows he needs to get rid of those masks. He needs to get rid of those layers and the pretenses and everything we've cultivated in ourselves. And he needs to get to the real you, your point of pain, your real point of need and breathe life into that space. So church, I know that we've done so much in these hours this morning. But would you take a step 
with me this morning. A step that will need leads to new steps. But a step nonetheless of grace and faith. And so let's pray together. Lord, I've got no doubt that as we've been talking about this issue that pain has risen up in our hearts. And maybe even incredible dislike about some of the things that I see in my own life, be it my broken self or just parts of my personality or parts of how you've made me that I just don't like. And the world has reminded me again and again and again that I'm not blank enough. Oh, and Lord, it's so hard to go there. And for some of us, we can't even do that because we are so rehearsed in living out of our false selves. But God, the hope that we have, the hope that we have is that we are wonderfully made and knit together in our mother's womb, every, sing, every single one of us. And Lord God, you have placed God potential in us, not because we are God, but as we get given life by you and eternal life by you. There are ways that you want your grace to be evident to the world through us in unique and wonderful and beautiful ways. For some of us, it means facing up to just the, 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 the many layers of rejection that we've experienced, which is, again, so painful. But Jesus... Jesus of Nazareth, who walked the face of planet Earth, somehow disarming us with your grace and your love. Somehow causing sinners to trust you with their sin and their pain and their failures. We choose to do the same. Jesus, this is not to unnecessarily expose us to shame us, but rather to open up the chest cavity of our hearts so that you can breathe your life and your restoration into the places that need it most. So Jesus, would you do that? As we choose to be vulnerable, as we choose and as we risk in our pain this morning, Jesus, you are so good. You are a healing God. You are a restoring God. You are a God who loves us so deeply. And I pray even now, Romans 5, 5, that your love would be poured into our hearts by your Holy Spirit, unmistakably. And you invite us to stand on our feet, trusting you walking a new road and a new path of restoration. So Jesus, would your healing power truly be here this morning? And I ask if that's you, just in the quietness of your own heart, and if you're in that place, would you say just something along the lines of, Jesus, that is me. I, I, I'm not just sitting here waiting for Stephen to keep quiet. I, I need you to engage me in this place this morning.
Thank you, Jesus, that as powerful and as righteous and holy as you are, you are the safest place for us to be with our pain and our sin and our brokenness. Thank you, Jesus. Heal us this morning. And start a restoring work with us. Help us walk this cruciform road as you walk patiently with us and as we learn your ways and your rhythms of grace. But it's all trusting you. It's all about your love, your presence, your power.